Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. Yeah, two housekeeping things real quick. One, uh, we had a photo booth out back. If you didn't get a chance to get an Easter photo with your family, you can do that. We'll leave it up afterwards if you want to head out there and get your photo taken. Uh, Shauna Stancil made those flowers. So, yeah, those were unbelievable. I think Tim helped. I think Tim helped. Uh, but great job, Shauna. Um, just beautiful photo booth. Uh, the second thing is that today is... Uh, not only is it Easter, but our very own Tim Stancil turns, uh, what, 30? Happy birthday, Tim. Yeah. So give him an awkward side hug or something. Um, say happy birthday to him. So glad that he would celebrate Easter with us on his birthday. Uh, Luke chapter 24. Uh, the, the Church of England, uh, their premier New Testament scholar is named N.T. Wright. Some of you have heard of N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is uh, proficient in the, the ancient languages of Greek and Hebrew. Um, he's given his life to writing about uh, the New Testament uh, and the historic church. Um, he's especially known for his writing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he has spent his life writing about proof that Jesus rose from the dead, but also what the implications of the resurrection mean for us here today. Given his life to it, written uh, a number of uh, academic and books for the church. He was speaking at a conference in the United States. He came to New York City. And when he got to the airport, uh, he took a cab to his hotel. And as he was getting into the cab, uh, the cab driver, the New York cab driver, started talking to him, asking about what his profession was. He told him he was a a New Testament scholar and he was speaking at a conference about the resurrection of Jesus. So they're having this conversation on the way to the hotel. And finally, the New York cab driver says, the way I see it, if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then everything else is just rock and roll. And it's here, I thought, his, all of his life work, you know, summed up. Couldn't have said it better himself, right? If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, everything is different. Everything changes. It changes. It means it has huge implications on eternity. All of history, the church would say, pivots on this day where Jesus Christ rises from the dead. He is risen. And today on Easter, we celebrate this risen Christ, this Christ that is, we believe is here among us now. Death has been conquered. This world full of decay and destruction is being renewed and recreated. Christ, death, and resurrection. Today on Easter, as we consider this resurrection story, I want to look at a, a story that's found in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to read the story today. And we've been going through the Gospel of Luke the last two months. If you've been around Desert City, we've, we've had this reading schedule called Luke through Lent, reading through the, the Gospel of Luke. It all kind of culminates with this story of the resurrection. And there's a number of accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, but I think the story I want to read today is helpful for where we are culturally. And so if you want to open to Luke chapter 24, and it follows the verse that Tim read. And we'll start in verse 13. And we've been talking at 
how Luke is great at details and he paints a picture as he writes. So just listen to this story as I read it. Luke 24, 13 says this. Now that same day, two of them, the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything, talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you know the things? Do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, well, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and he was at the table with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? Were not our hearts burning when he was with us? The story of uh, an account of the resurrection. And what I find interesting is how Jesus reveals himself to these disciples. The story sets up, we have two disciples walking. One of them is named Cleopas. The other one, we don't know. There's speculation of who that is. It's possible that it was Cleopas' wife, and they were walking together. But there's two of them, one named, one not. And they're going to a town called Emmaus. Emmaus, it tells us, is seven miles away from Jerusalem. And the crucifixion has just happened. They were followers of Jesus, and they're already walking towards Emmaus. Emmaus, uh, we know the, the meaning of Emmaus, it's a town, uh, the meaning of Emmaus is hot springs. So it's a town that probably had hot springs. So I like to think that husband and his wife, you know, Jesus didn't work out, now they're on the way to the day spa, right? <laughs> We're out of here, heading to the spa. There's other speculation that Emmaus was, uh, it was a, a place where Israel was storing weapons, they're, they're conquered by the Romans, and when they finally rebel against the Romans, this is kind of a staging area. 
It's a very strategic military outpost. We're not really sure what Emmaus is, but what we know is that they're on this road, this seven-mile road. It would have taken about two hours to get there from Jerusalem. And they're walking, and they're trying to like, process what just happened with this crucifixion. We're following this guy, and we had all these expectations of who he was and what he was going to do, and now it's over. And they're walking this road. And the reason I want to look at this story is because I feel like the road that they're on is a road that many of us are on in this culture. The seven-mile road, I would call it the road of disillusionment. It's the road of disillusionment. Some of you know about different roads that are walked in the New Testament. We know the Apostle Paul was on the road of Damascus, and it was this conversion road where Christ appears to him, and Paul has this conversion moment. Like, we all, we all have this story where we're on this road of Damascus, and we have this conversion moment where we come to Jesus. He reveals himself to us, and our life has changed forever. But at some point, all of us find ourselves on the road to Emmaus, the road of disillusionment. And I think that there's such a strong statement here in verse 21. When they're talking about all that Jesus had done, and they said this, but we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. He had, we had hoped this. It didn't work out. We had desired for something, and it left us empty. Hope could define hope as a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. A feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. They had hoped that Jesus was going to be a certain kind of savior. And delusionment, if this is the road to delusionment, delusionment can be defined as a feeling of disappointment resulting from the discovery that something is not as good as one believed it to be. And the disciples at this moment are on the road of disillusionment. We had hoped it was going to be this. And it turned out how we expected. At some point, all of us find ourselves on this road to disillusionment. And it takes, it manifests itself in different ways, right? For some of us, we had hoped that this relationship would have worked out. And it didn't. We had hoped that where I was headed at work with my job, getting promoted through this company, I'd hoped that I would, I would be at a certain point. And it doesn't work out. We had hoped that we'd get married and it would solve all of our problems of loneliness. We had hoped that our family would be at a certain place financially now. We haven't made it. We have all sorts of hopes. And the world is hard. The world is difficult. And at some point, all of us face these desires and hopes where we're let down. The tendency, the tendency is to think we're disappointed. Maybe we're disappointed with God. If he's good, if he says who he is, why are we in this place? Why would we be allowed to be in a place where we feel like we're suffering. We become disillusioned with God. Disillusioned with the world around us. Probably something that I struggle with the most as a pastor, I call myself a recovering cynic. Right? I live in this world of disillusionment. 
going through a bunch of like assessments and counseling as a pastor, one thing I was told is that I'm an optimist. And I was like, I'm not a very optimistic person. But I, I have these like optimistic results of how the world's going to play out. And the danger is when you're an optimist is when it doesn't play out the way that you want, you become very cynical very quick. I like to think that maybe, you know, it's a romantic thought that things are just going to work out that way. And I'm heartbroken when it doesn't. I become very cynical, disillusioned with life, with God's activity in the world, with the church, with people. I find myself on this road all the time of disillusionment. But what's interesting about the story of the resurrection is that when Jesus comes back, rises from the dead, one of the first people that he appears to are these two disciples on the road to, of disillusionment. I think if I was Jesus and I rise from the dead, I'd come back to those who crucified me, and I'm like, look at this, right? I'm back. But this says something about the character and nature of God, that he meets these disciples in their disappointment on this road of disillusionment comes up from behind him, and he engages with them in this conversation. He starts to talk to them about their life. In the journey of disappointment, God meets us. The resurrected Christ meets us. And what's interesting is that Christ journeys with them. He doesn't extract them from the road. He doesn't say, okay, it's over now. You can come with me. They keep going to their destination. In this journey of disappointment Jesus walks with them. It's like a Kanye song. Jesus walks. I did not plan that. I don't know why I quoted Kanye on Easter. But Jesus walks with them on this road. And he engages with them. On the road of disillusionment, Jesus meets us. The living Christ comes along our side. So what we know about resurrection is it awakens something in us. Christ meets us in our death and disappointment. The other thing that we learn about this story is that the way God works in this world is much different than how we work. But God is still working. Right? The disciples had this idea of who Jesus was going to be. They had this vision for Jesus, this agenda for Jesus. And it was different than how God was planning on working in this world. And if you even think of the language that, that they use, I feel like a simple tweak. They, Cleopas says, they crucified him, but we hoped he would redeem Israel. When in fact, they crucified him, and that is how Christ did redeem his people. They thought God would redeem Israel from suffering. But God redeems his people through the suffering of Jesus. The way that God works in this world is much different than what we would expect. And I think that's important and encouraging for us. Because when things don't go our way in life, when we end up on this road of disillusionment, we're frustrated with our family, with our children, with our job, it's possible that God is in the work in the midst of those disappointments. It's possible that God isn't necessarily punishing us for the suffering that we have, but there's a renewal that's happening in the midst of all of life's circumstances. And what resur resurrection claims is that whatever you're going through right now, this is not the end of the story. You could die and be raised from the dead. Christ is at work in eternal ways in this world.
The work of God is different than what we would expect. But God is always working. And it's interesting that as Jesus walks with them and he's talking to them about all of the things that have happened, he starts to reveal himself. This is the revelation of who God is and what God is up to in this world. The old theologian Karl Barth says that Jesus is kind of like the hourglass between God and the world. Everything passes through this filter. And we want to get a picture of what God is like. We look at Jesus. There's this filter of of revelation that we see in Christ. This picture of love, of justice, of grace. Everything is filtered through this lens of Jesus. And as Jesus starts to, to talk to these disciples, he does two things. One is that he breaks open the scripture. Breaks open this sacred text that we call the Word of God. And it's interesting that Luke doesn't tell us like what passage he reads. Right? Because like we think we want to know what that passage is. We, we want that silver bullet that all of a sudden makes sense of the world. But it says Jesus just goes through the narrative of this Old Testament. Starting with Moses, going through the prophets, to reveal who he is and what he's up to in this world. And he breaks open the scripture. Coming to the scripture, we find, we find Jesus. The last two months we uh, had this daily reading schedule of the Gospel of Luke. I don't know if you had a chance to do that, go through that daily. I, would, uh, I, I made it through. I would, I would kind of get behind and then I'd catch up. But what's so interesting is to read the Gospel of Luke as a story again, as a narrative. You see this heart of Jesus who's with those who are broken, who heals those who are sick with disease, who feeds those who are hungry, who gives water to those who thirst, who's with those who are oppressed by society. We see this unbelievable, beautiful picture of God and Jesus. The early church, the Apostle Paul, understood this kind of hourglass metaphor. And he says this of Jesus in Colossians, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, the resurrection. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. We get this picture of God in scripture, this poetic explanation of Jesus. And it says, once you were alienated from God and your enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now you have been reconciled. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And this is the gospel you have heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We get this picture of God through scripture. Christ breaks open the scripture, and these disciples start to see this bigger story that is at play. The second thing that happens 
Christ breaks open bread. They come to this house, and they're having a meal. And I've heard it said that as Jesus broke open the bread, the resurrected Christ, as he breaks open the bread, they would have obviously seen the scars on his wrists, right? But it's so interesting what's used here, this terminology of breaking of the bread. Bread is used throughout Scripture to describe what God is doing in this world. We have pictures of, uh, of Jesus feeding the 5,000, breaking bread open, multiplying it, giving it to those who are hungry. Jesus says that he's the bread of life. We looked at the Last Supper last week where he talks about this is bread represents his body. And it's interesting to think, you know, to have something that's symbolic. I feel like in our culture today, we don't have a lot of things that are just symbolic. It's kind of strange. But each week as a church, we gather around this meal called the Eucharist that represents this body of Christ that's broken open for us. As a church, we call ourselves the body of Christ. I love what Gordon Lathrop says about bread. When using this, this symbol that, that Jesus reveals himself to the world, it says, bread unites the fruitful goodness of the earth with the ancient history of human cultivation. Bread represents the earth and the rain, growing grains, sowing, reaping, the process of farming, milling and backing, together with the mystery of yeast, all presented in a single object. This loaf invites the participation of more than one person. In its most usual form, bread is food for a group. The loaf draws us. It easily stands for the cooperation of the human work with the land, for the survival of a tribe or a family, for the circle of shared eating set against the famine in earth. And because of these meetings, the loaf comes to mean more in its momentary utilitarian value. A loaf is a symbol, a gathering place for communal encounter with a larger meaning. This is why we love having dinner with friends, right? The whole loaf invites the participation of many, much like the body of Christ. And God reveals himself with this symbol, this breaking of the bread that represents his body broken open. We call it communion because we do it together. This body of Christ, the church, broken open for the world. The writers of the New Testament love to pick up on this imagery of bread. And they use it to describe something much bigger that's at work here. Bread representing the body of Christ, incarnate, physical here on earth. But also the body of Christ being the church. What we do in participation we join God in his work of reconciliation, redemption, restoration in this world. And what we find is when we have this moment where we gather around something sacred like a meal like this, we break it open, we experience God. There's nothing magical about it, but it is a mystery. God reveals himself. And we have these instructions of the church. As Jesus comes, the risen Christ, and he reveals himself, by breaking open the scripture, by breaking open bread, they have this revelation of who God is. The presence of God is with them. And on Easter today, we celebrate the resurrection, that God is with us. Today, we invite you to join this story. In closing, there's a, one more story that takes place in the life of Jesus, and it happens in the Gospel of John. Jesus has a friend named Lazarus, who dies. And it's heartbreaking. Lazarus' sisters come, they cry to Jesus, they, they say, we've seen your miracles, we know that you can 
heal people. And if you've only been here on time, you could have healed our brother. And this story happens as Jesus sees that Lazarus is dead. In the first instance, he, he raises someone from the dead. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But as he's talking to the sisters, he says this. Jesus said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He says this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? The message of Easter is that we will live forever in eternity with Christ. And all the things that separate us from God, all the things that cause us uh, to be broken are absorbed on the cross. Sin and death are defeated. And we're invited to participate in life eternal. Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you join this? The last thing, I love that the disciples say, as Jesus reveals himself, they have this statement. They say, did not our hearts burn within us when Jesus broke open the scriptures and broke open the, the bread? Did not our hearts burn within us? And I wonder how long has it been since your hearts have burned for God? Maybe you find yourself on the road of disillusionment. Maybe you've checked out. Maybe you've been disappointed. Life's not working for you. And you come in here today, and you carry the anxiety from that, the depression from that. And you need to be made new again. Your hearts need to be made to burn. You want to join God in this work of meaning, of eternal work. We invite you to the table today. The band's going to come up, and uh, each week we close our service with communion, and it's this sharing of the bread and the juice. And we do this not as a ritual, we do this not because it's routine, but we do this because it's formational for us as the body of Christ. We remember and we proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus. But then we also join in this work as the body of Christ. Christ is risen and he is with us. His presence is with us. And us now as the church joins in this work of redemption. We say if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've said yes, we invite you to the table today. If it's something that's confusing or you're not quite sure, you're ready to take it, don't worry about it. We'd love to discuss that with you. But we think that when we break open the scripture and we break open the bread, God reveals himself to us. And maybe today you need to come and just trust that. Maybe you're walking the seven-mile journey on the road of disillusionment. And you need Christ to just rekindle something in your heart to awaken you so your heart may burn again. We all put our faith in different things. The invitation of this story is to put your faith in this Jesus who loves you unconditionally, who dies for you, who offers eternity. Come to the table and feast. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. The story of resurrection, Lord. That on the cross, you absorb brokenness. All the ways that we get it wrong, mess up all of our darkness. Lord, you also absorb all the terrible things that have happened to us that other people have done. 
you take the punishment, the sin of the world, the things that separate us from you, and you invite us to new life. Today as your church, Lord, we remember your death. We remember your resurrection, that there's hope. And Lord, to see your heart that you would meet with these two disciples who were disillusioned with your story. Of all the people you go to, Lord, you go to them and you reveal yourself. Lord, we'd ask that you would reveal yourself to us today. In our disillusionment, Lord, we would find hope and wonder and awe of who you are. As we break open this bread, we remember your sacrifice. As we take this cup of juice, Lord, we remember your blood that was shed, that wipes us clean. And Lord, we remember your resurrection, that you are here now, alive within us. You're giving us a glimpse of our future. Thank you for loving us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.